And so um, one of the things that we began talking about last week um, was this idea of evangelism and sharing our faith. And last week we talked through uh, the parable of the four soils where Jesus says we're to go out and share the gospel. And as we tell people about Jesus, there are four types of people that we will encounter when we do that, are four hearts that his word falls upon. And so as we began talking through this, we said that not only do we um, hear about these things, but Jesus, when he says, look, when I share these parables, once you have an understanding of what I'm talking about, and as a follower of Jesus, he says, you are those people that you understand these words. He says, guess what? We are now responsible for it. It's not only are we hearing these words, but we are now responsible to do something with it. And so we don't just take the, take the step of believing and say, Jesus, I love you and I believe in you, and then I keep it to myself. But he says, you're responsible to go out and share that with the lost. Just as Jesus impacted your life, he wants to impact the lives of others, and you have the ability to share that with the lost. And so we have a responsibility to share his word. And so the four people that he said you come across is the people with a hard heart, and those are the people that just reject the gospel, those who have a shallow heart, and they may make an emotional decision, say, oh, I love Jesus, but then they never actually do anything with it. They never, uh, you know, they leave the place they were at, they make that statement, but it just doesn't, it's not a lasting decision. They didn't really uh, take that step of believing. And the third person that says that we see is the overtaken heart, and so that is the, the believer that's not effective for Jesus. They're ineffective. They're not really doing anything with their faith. They may actually believe, but we're not serving, we're not plugged in, we're not sharing our faith. And then he says the fourth person that we see is the overcoming heart, the, the believer that has fruit in their life. And so when you look at their life, you're able to say, that person is a follower of Jesus. And I can tell just by watching their actions and seeing the way they, they conduct themselves. They're serving, they're giving, they're telling people about Jesus. And so as we studied through that, we said today we're going to talk about some very simple ways that you and I can talk about sharing our faith. You see, as soon as we mention sharing our faith, or you hear that word evangelism, many of us sitting in here, our brain just goes into shutdown mode, and you say, you know what? That's not really for me. And so we talked about last week the fears that we have, the relationships that we don't want to break. You know, I have friends. I don't want to tell them about Jesus because they may never talk to me again. They may disagree. We talked about all these different things that we as believers uh, struggle with when it comes to sharing our faith. And so today we're going to talk about some very simple and practical ways that we can do that. And as we wrapped up last week, I was talking about our core values of our church. And these are things that you've started to see and you'll see more as we move forward. But specifically the core value of the unreached being reached. We said that these core values are the way that here at Calvary we measure our success. It's not through numbers and things like that, but it's how well are we doing these five things. And the one in the middle there, the unreached being reached, we measure success by how many people are giving their lives to Jesus. How well are we going out and sharing our faith with the lost? And that's not me and Pastor Dan and the staff. That's us corporately as a congregation. How are we doing reaching the lost? And so we wrapped up last week talking about the book 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think by Tom Mercer. And he comes up with this idea of our oikos, which is the Greek word for extended household. And the idea is that every one of us sitting in here has 8 to 15 people in our lives that we have relationships with that are in our sphere of influence that we can share the gospel with. We have the ability to impact their eternity forever. And so I asked you to write on the bottom of your outline last week those 8 to 15 people. And I said, this week I want you to pray specifically by name for those 8 to 15 people. And I also want to ask Jesus to open up doors for you to share your faith with those people. Some of them are family members, friends. Uh, some of them are co-workers, neighbors. You all know who your sphere of influence was. And Jesus said, I'm going to pick 12 guys. I'm going to invest in these 12 guys and pour into them for three years. And then when I resurrect and I go back to heaven, 
I'm going to send these guys out to change the world. It's the same thing for us. We have our 8 to 15. If we pour into them and they pour into others, you start to see the impact that we can have, not only in our community, but around the world. And when we start to think about the 5.5 billion people in the world, it can be overwhelming. But look, we all have a sphere of influence, these 8 to 15 people that we can impact today when we leave this place. And so on your outlines, before we jump into these things, there's something I want you to grasp. We'll refer to this a couple times today. So the kind of the keynote for today is this right here. Every relationship I have is intentional. Every relationship I have is intentional. Jesus brings people in our lives and brings us into the lives of other people for a specific reason. Every relationship I have is intentional. And so today we're going to talk about these relationships and what are the practical ways that I can tell these people about Jesus and how he has changed my life. You see, it's not just a living of our faith, which we'll talk about in a moment, but we have to be able to do something with that. So when people say, what is it you have? We need to be able to tell them about Jesus and what he did for us, and he wants to do the same thing for you in your life. But before we jump in, there was a survey that I was reading as I was getting ready for today, and it asked a bunch of simple questions to new believers. And so three of those questions were simply this. Number one is, who led you to Christ? So over a thousand new believers were surveyed. They asked them the question, who led you to Christ? 43% of them said it was a family member. 16% said it was a friend. And so if you take those numbers together, that's almost 60% of all new believers that were polled that said it was somebody in my 8 to 15, it was somebody in my extended household that led me to Christ. Almost two-thirds of new believers would say it was somebody in my 8 to 15 that led me to Christ. The next question was, what method did they use when sharing their faith? So there's a lot of different types of you know, evangelism ideas. We have Bible tracts, and you have Romans Road, and you have you know, Evangelism Explosion. There are all these things. They all are great, and they work for different people. But what method did they use when they told you about Jesus? 54%, so over half of all new believers said there was no set method. It was through simple conversation. There was no set method. It was just talking to me about Jesus, a simple conversation. Imagine if every one of us went out and this week just had one conversation with somebody. Our average adult attendance here is somewhere around 750 to 800 people on a Sunday. And if every single one of us left here and said, I'm going to have one conversation every week, that's 750 to 800 people that are hearing about Jesus that may not have heard of him before. If we all went and poured into our 8 to 15, let's say we all have 10 people that's 7,500 to 8,000 people in our community hearing about Jesus that may not have heard about Jesus before. So if we are intentional, we can change our community, we can change our world just by having gospel conversations and telling people about Jesus. And the last question was, what influenced you to attend church in the first place? 30% said a family member just asked me to come, and 23% said a friend. So over half of all people that come to church come because somebody in their sphere of influence said, just come to church with me. They extended an invitation and said, come to church. And so like I said, today we're going to talk about three simple ways of sharing our faith in our lives. And on your outline, Acts chapter 15, verse 19, it's Peter talking. He said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Again, we're talking about simple concepts today. We don't want to overcomplicate it. We don't want to make it difficult. And so Peter here is referring to the early uh, Jewish people that were converting to Christianity. They were taking that step of believing in Jesus. And the problem they had 
was they were so used to living the way they used to. You see, it was the law that saved. We have to follow the law and be obedient to the law. We can't do these things. But Jesus said, you know, I came to fulfill the law, that once I came, there's a new covenant established. And now moving forward, to be a follower of Christ, all you need to do is believe. It says it all throughout the New Testament. Just take the step of believing in Jesus, and that's all it takes. But these early Jewish converts said, well, you know, it's, it's believing in Jesus, but we know we still have to do these things. We still can't do this, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do it this way. And they kept attaching things to the gospel and making it difficult. And so Peter comes out and says, look, do not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning for God. Let's keep it simple. Jesus said believe. Guess what we're going to tell people? All you need to do is believe. It's that simple. We're not going to attach anything to it. Jesus didn't attach anything to it, so why should we? Let's keep it simple. And so three very simple ways to share our faith. Number one on your outline, the first way we're going to talk about, and we talked a little bit about last week, is live out your faith. Live out your faith. People are always watching, and we need to be an example to those around us, especially the people we're close to. You're around them more. They see you at your best. They see you at your worst, but they're always watching, especially once you put it out there that I love Jesus. Some people are just waiting to point the finger at you and say, see, you're a hypocrite. And that's what scares us the most about putting it out there. We don't want to be those people. But guess what? None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. But we need to live out our faith. Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. He says, I'm begging you guys, when we put it out there, live a life worthy of Jesus. Live a life worthy of what he wants for us, the way that he would have us to live. Live a life worthy of the calling what you have received. So once we get hold of the fact that all these relationships we have are intentional, but with that, God has us where he wants us. He has gifted you the way he wants you gifted. He has given you the job that he wants. He's put you in the place that he wants you. Once we grasp these things, sharing the gospel should be pretty easy for us. You see, God is very strategic. Those relationships are intentional. Your gifting is intentional. You see, some of us in here say, well, I'm a business guy. I have a business mind. What, what, how, do I, how do I use that to share the gospel? Well, you have a sphere of influence that I will never have. Being able to talk to the guys you work with in your office. Being able to talk business and corporately share things with them. If you're a mechanic in here and you work on cars, I love cars. I know nothing about cars. I couldn't, you know, try and, I don't even know. I can barely get my gas and all that stuff. But if you're a car guy and you're a mechanic, Okay, you have a sphere of influence that I will never have, okay, with all your other car guys. If you're an artist in here, I can't draw a stick figure to save my life, okay? Like, I am, like, the worst artist in the world. But if you are an artist and you say, well, how do I use art to share my faith? Well, there's plenty of opportunity to do that. In fact, Drew said, if you have a chance to throw this out there, uh, do it for me. And so coming up in May... Um, we as a church, like I said, we want to have more of a, an impact in our community. And so we're sponsoring some Town of Jupiter events. Yesterday, Jupiter Jubilee, if you went out there, we had a table set up, some people walking around talking about our church. But coming up in May is a, a small art festival. It's not Artie Graw, but it's like the small Town of Jupiter one. And we are going to have a booth there. And we love for some of you artists that say, you know, I have a passion for art, and I want to tell people about Jesus through my art. We would love for you guys to display your stuff there and, and talk to other people. So if you're interested, find Drew. But there's a very simple practical way to share your faith through the giftedness that God has given you. Okay, so God has gifted you the way he wants you. He's brought you into the lives of people where he wants you as well. And so as you look at the first passage of scripture today, Acts chapter 16, we're not going to take a whole lot of time to dig deep into these passages, but they'll reinforce these ideas that we're talking about because there's no better example for us than the Bible. And so in Acts chapter 16, 
We see Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're on one of their missionary journeys. Paul is going out and planting churches and um, raising up pastors and discipling people. And so he's in Philippi. And when he gets there, it says that he and Silas are walking around town. And as he's doing that, there's this lady that's behind them that's kind of yelling at them and cursing at them. And he turns around and Paul says, you know, cast out a demon from her. He demon, be gone. And the thing leaves. And so he casts this demon out of this woman. She's healed. But see, the problem was that the woman was owned by a couple of guys. These guys were making money off of the fact that she was a fortune teller and would tell people their fortunes and stuff. And so they were pretty mad when they said, you know what, you just took our golden egg away. We have no way to make money. This woman is of no use to us anymore. And so they grab Paul and Silas and they take them to front of this angry mob. And so it says that Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown into prison. The interesting fact is that Paul, not only was he Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. And so what he had the ability to do is say, look, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't treat me this way. And they would have to let him go. Because just like we in America today, you have a right to a trial. You have to go through all these things. They can't just beat you and throw you in jail. Okay, you have a right to a trial. And so you have a right to, as a Roman citizen, to say that. Well, Paul, for whatever reason, does not bring that up here. Either they didn't hear him. It doesn't, doesn't say in the Bible that he said it at all. But he didn't bring that up. And I find it interesting because I believe that Paul is intentional and strategic in trying to get into prison where he knew he could share his faith with these people. And so in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, it picks up with this. I want you to look at the way Paul responds to the situation. Again, he's probably like, this isn't fair. Many of us would argue with God saying, I'm trying to be a witness for you. What are you doing to me, God? But look how Paul reacts. It says this, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were underlined praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Underline this next line, it says, And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, underline this, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, it says, They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And so Paul doesn't take this time to complain and to throw a fit because he shouldn't have been in jail in the first place. It says that he and Silas start singing hymns of praise to God. It says that he had an audience. The people in the, pra- in the prison were, were listening to them sing. They were watching to see what kind of example they set. And then when the doors opened, it says they could have ran free. They could have ran out of there. And it says that the jailer was about to kill himself because he assumed that's what happened. He knew that's the fate that would await him if he let all these prisoners go. But Paul says, look, we're still here. We're still here. And so that jailer comes in and it said that he's led to Christ, not only him, but his entire household, because Paul says, look, People are watching. I'm going to set the example for them of how we act, even when life's not fair, even when things are happening in our lives that we're not happy about. He says, people are watching. And as I was studying through this, uh, I thought John Corson pretty, put it pretty well, so I'm going to share this with you. If you guys are looking for a very practical Bible study tool, John Corson has three commentaries, two for the Old Testament, one for the New. Pastor Dan's talked about it before, but they're really great commentaries that are simple and just break down Scripture. But he said this about Acts 16. He said, why are you in prison? Why are things not happening? Why aren't things opening up as quickly as you hoped they would? Could it be because there are prisoners and jailers watching who are about to see what happens in your life when things are shaken up? Could it be because there are people who need to see what's going to happen to you in the midnight hour? For the most part, prosperity only creates jealousy. 
But when those around you hear you singing in the day of adversity, like the jailer, they will say, what must I do to be saved? See, a lot of us want to have that wealth. We want to say, look, this is what I'm, I'm living for. But it says, look, prosperity creates jealousy. Okay, you'll immediately shut people off just because that's what you're pursuing. But he says this, when people watch you during adversity and they see Jesus and you're singing hymns of praise to Jesus, they're going to want what you have because you're pursuing Christ even through the rough times and you're setting an example through the life that you live just as Paul and Silas did here. So they were wrongfully accused that they chose to rejoice in their situation. On your outline, I want you to write this. I cannot have a positive impact when living a negative lifestyle. I cannot have a positive impact when living a negative lifestyle. And so it's more than just living it out. That's obviously a big piece of the puzzle because people are always watching. But again, we need to look for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. You know, we need to be memorizing scripture and these things are great. But today we're talking about the simple ways we can share our faith. So we should be doing these things. We need to be intentional about sharing our faith with people. But number two, the second simple way we're going to be talking about today is invite them to church. Invite them to church. A simple invitation can change somebody's life. We invite people to do life with us all the time. You know, again, I said tonight's a Super Bowl. Many of us are going to a Super Bowl party, invited people over. We'll call, call up friends, say, hey, you want to go grab a movie? Hey, do you want to go out on the boat? You want to go to the beach? Do you want to do this? We'll always invite people into our lives and say, hey, let's do life together. But for some reason, when it comes to inviting people to church, we stop. And we say, look, we'll do life together, but I'm going to separate life and church. I don't want to invite people to church. Okay, I can do this, but I can't do that. Tom Rainer, who's the CEO of Lifeway, amongst other things, he wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. And he surveyed 2,000 people. There's a couple more statistics. And this is what he said about the unchurched or non-believers. He said 84% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. 84%. That means over 130 million people in the United States would come to church if they were just asked, hey, will you come to church with me today? 84%. Now, I've heard that number as low as 60, 70%, 84% in this survey. But the fact is the odds are always in our favor if we just say, hey, Will you come to church with me today? On the flip side, only 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to church over the course of a year. So again, if you take our average attendance, let's say 750 people, 20% would be about 150 people. So that means last year, 150 people that attend church here actually invited somebody to church. And then to go even deeper, it says only 2% of those people purposefully invited an unchurched person to church. And so we're willing to talk to our church friends about Jesus, but we're not willing to talk to our unchurched friends about Jesus and invite them to church. And so we said that Jesus set the bar by pouring into his 12 people, but he also set the bar when it comes to simple invitations. And so in the Gospel of John chapter 1, starting in verse 43, I want you to watch this as Jesus starts to call his disciples to follow him. This is what happens. It says, the next day he, Jesus being the he, underlined purposed to go into Galilee, and he underlined the word found Philip. And Jesus said to him, I want you to underline the words, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So it says Jesus intentionally, he purposefully went to Galilee. He went and found Philip, and he says, follow me. So he's very intentional along the way. It says that I purposely went to Galilee, 
When I was there, I sought out Philip, and when I found him, I simply said, Philip, follow me. He was intentional in pursuing Philip. He was intentional in asking. He was simple in saying, follow me. That's all I want you to do. And so what we start to realize is that when we give our lives to Christ, when our mind is transformed to be like Jesus, and we are empowered by the Spirit of God, something starts to happen to us, and that we are burdened for the lost. We are burdened for the lost. We want to go out and tell people about Jesus, and we are burdened with the fact that our friends, our family members, our neighbors are facing a fate that we don't want them to fate. And so when we are consumed by Christ, we have this natural burden for the lost. And you see it in the life of Philip. Jesus says, follow me. And then continuing on in verse 45, it doesn't say that Philip sat down and said, great, I believe I'm going to sit here and do nothing with it. But here's what it says. It says, Philip, underline the word, found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so he says, he, he heard about Jesus. He says, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to believe that he is who he says he is. And immediately he springs into action and wants to tell other people as well. He goes and finds his friend Nathaniel and says, you'll never believe this. We found the one who was promised. We found Jesus of Nazareth. And so many of us don't share our faith because we're worried about skepticism, we're worried about people debating us and wanting to, to fire back at us. And so what happens when he tells Nathaniel, hey, you know, we found Jesus, come and see him. And Nathaniel says this, it says in verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so he doesn't respond with, great, let's go. But he says, you know what? I highly doubt that you're right. Okay, skepticism. And again, that's why a lot of us don't share our faith. At that point, somebody's skeptic, we begin to back down and we walk away. But it doesn't say that Philip gave up. If you go on in verse 46, it says this, and it continues. It says, Philip said to him, come and see. Come and see. So he didn't drop it. He says, look, come and see for yourself. See, Nathaniel says, Nazareth is this poor city. Nothing good comes from there. How can this Messiah be from Nazareth? And Philip says, just come and see. Come and meet him. How many of us just say, look, you're a skeptic? Okay. Just come to church with me and hear what we have to say. Come and see for yourself. Come and see what Jesus is doing. And so what's the result of being persistent and sticking with it? Verse 47 through 49, it says this. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Because of his persistence, he was intentional, and he extended a simple invitation. Nathanael's eternity was changed forever because Philip just said, come and see for yourself. Come with me and see about this Jesus. So an intentional invitation changed Nathanael's life forever. We need to be intentional. So on your outline, I need to be intentional about inviting my friends to church. I need to be intentional about inviting my friends to church. Jesus purposed. He found him. Philip went out and found his friend. He was intentional about sharing what Jesus had done. So invite your friends to church. The third simple way we're going to talk about sharing our faith today is this. Number three, share your story. Share your story. In the latter part of Acts, we see Paul going on his third missionary journey, planning churches, telling people about Jesus. And we see six times he decides to share Jesus with people that are around him. 
Okay, six times he shares Jesus with them. All six times he was alone. All six times it was a group of unbelievers that were hostile. They were an angry mob. They wanted to kill Paul for saying what he was saying and doing what he was doing. And all six times he shared Jesus with them in the same way, and that was by sharing his story. He said, look, this is who I was. This is how Jesus changed my life. This is who I am now, and he wants to do the same thing for you. And so he said, I'm going to share Jesus. The best way for me to do that is to share my story. So in Acts 22, verses 3 through 8 and 12 16, through 16, we're going to see Paul sharing his testimony. He's sharing, look at what God did in my life that he wants to do for you. So starting in verse 3, it says this. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, who's one of the top teachers of his time, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. In verse 4, it says, I persecuted this way. The way is what believers were called uh, in the early church. They were called the way. So it says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. I was killing them and throwing them in prison for their faith. As also the high priest and the council of the elders can testify, from them I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. He says, look, before Jesus, I was arresting Christians. They were being killed because of me. I was pretty much as bad as you could be. But then something happened. In verse 6, he says, but it happened that day as I was on my way approaching Damascus, about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. <clears throat> In verse 12, it goes on to say, A certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, standing near to me, said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. <coughs> Excuse me. And at that very time, I looked up at him, and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. In verse 15, it says, For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. So Paul says, look, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did for me, and here's my life now. So three parts to our story. Number one, it's what was my life like before Jesus? <coughs> what was my life like? before Jesus. For Paul, he says, look, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I studied under the best. I was arresting Christians. I hated them. They're being killed because of me. But then something happened. Jesus intervened in my life and changed my life forever. Number two, the second part of our story is when did I give my life to Jesus? When did I give my life to Jesus? So what was my life like before Jesus? When did I give my life to Jesus? He says, look, I was on the road to Damascus. Jesus, Jesus radically intervenes. is going to arrest more Christians. And he says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It says that Paul is blinded, goes on to Damascus, meets a man named Ananias who says, receive your sight. Paul's vision is restored. And he says, the reason God intervened is he has a plan for your life. And so what was my life like before Jesus? When did I give my life to Jesus? And then number three, what has my life been like since then? What has my life been like 
since then. <coughs> so Ananias tells Paul in verse 15, you'll be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. He says, you are persecuting Christians. I'm going to radically intervene and change the course of your life to the point where not only were you killing Christians, but now you're being beaten for your faith because you're telling so many people about Jesus. Churches were planted. Thousands of lives were changed because Paul went out and shared his story. On your outline, I want you to write this. My story is my most valuable tool. My story is my most valuable tool. People cannot argue with you about what Jesus has done in your life. And so this week as I was preparing this teaching, I wanted to give an example of this. So I went and asked Marcia if she would mind sharing her story with us. And she took some time to pray about it and thankfully said yes. And so I went to Kevin and he was able to put this together for me in a couple of days. So I just want to thank him as well. But I just want to take a couple minutes to watch Marcia's story. All right, let's give Marcia a hand. Absolutely. If you know Marcia, you know that she was a bit reluctant to do this for me this week, but I appreciate it. She's sitting in here this morning. Um, you know, I just called her. I've heard her testimony so many times before, and I just wanted to share that with you guys. Because there's an example of somebody that says, look, my life, I was embarrassed of the way I was living. But somebody invited me to church, and through that, I gave my life to Christ. And I left that lifestyle, and now I'm pursuing Jesus with all that I am. If you guys know Marcia, you know, she's counseled people here. She's leading groups here. She's investing in the lives of people here because Jesus radically changed her life. And she's like, I want to tell people my story. People can't argue with Marsh and say, look, you left this lifestyle to live for Jesus. And here are all the things that Jesus has done for me. You can't argue the facts. Your story is your most valuable tool. Every single one of us as a follower of Jesus has a story. Every single one of us has a story. Some of you guys, it's, I've come from a serious life where I was really far from Jesus, and he radically changed my life, and here's where I am now. Some of us, like me, I grew up in church, and I was a pretty good kid. You know, I didn't do many bad things. I definitely wasn't perfect, but, you know, it was pretty steady plotting all around. But I encourage you this week, if you've never done this, go home and write out your story. What was my life like before Jesus? How did Jesus change my life? And then since then, what has my life been like? And if you're interested in sharing your story, we're always looking for people that will do testimonies and share what Jesus has done. On your connection card, I just want you to write my story on your connection card, and Kevin will get in contact with you at some point when I compile a list of people that are willing to do that and share what Jesus has done. So our our story is our most valuable tool. And so on your outline, as we begin to wrap up today, um, those are the three simple ways that we can share our faith with those people that we are brought into their life intentionally. But there are certain times that we look for to share our faith. There are certain times that people are more open and more receptive to hearing about Jesus. And so when we're intentional about looking for these opportunities, here's what we need to know. So in your box, on the outline, there are three things. When it says people are more receptive to the gospel in times of, number one, trouble. In times of trouble. When the bottom is falling out and things are not going well, people look to turn to somebody or something. And we are there to say, look, Jesus loves you despite what's going on in your life. Jesus loves you. A lot of us come and our story comes from a source of trouble in our lives where we pursued Jesus during that time. For during times of trouble, we want to share Jesus with our 8 to 15. Number two, the second time is during times of tension. My marriage is on the rocks. I lost my job. Life is super stressful right now. But during times of tension, people are more open and receptive to hearing about Jesus. Then the third time we look for is times of transition. 
times of transition, trouble, tension, and transition. So when people are new to an area and they're moving uh, to a new job or moving to a new area, when they're moving to a new phase of life, we see families. Um, you know, I just had kids and we wanted to get involved in church. So during times of transition, people are more open to hearing about Jesus. Invite them to church. Share your story. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Andy Stanley put it this way. He, he talked about keystone habits. Charles Duhigg um, was an author who wrote the book, The Power of Habit. And he talks about keystone habits. And the keystone habit is a habit that triggers a series of related behaviors. So when we do one thing, it affects a whole bunch of other areas of our life. And he said, what's the key habit of the church? And he said, the key habit for our church is to invite people to church and share our faith. If we can get that one thing down really, really good, everything else will fall into place. People will come to church. People will be converted. Baptisms will happen. People are joining a group. They're investing in community. All of that will fall into place if we just invite people to church. And so he trained his church to listen for the knots. He said, when you're having conversations with your 8 to 15, with your people, he said, listen for these key triggers. He says, number one, when somebody says, I'm not from around here. I'm not from around here. Again, transition. I'm not from around here. When you hear that word not, oh, you're not from around here. Well, hey, join me at church this weekend. You'll love it. Number two, things are not going well. Things are not going well. When we hear not going well, it's a trigger. Invite them to church. Number three, we were not prepared for. We were not prepared. We weren't prepared to lose this person. We weren't prepared to lose our job. Listen for the knots. And when we do that, we can be more intentional about sharing our faith. And real quick, I'm going a little over time. I want to share this as we close. Ronnie Floyd on Twitter this week, he, he sent this out, and I was great timing. It really fits along with what we're talking about today. Ronnie Floyd is the uh, pastor at Cross Church in Arkansas. He's also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. And the North American Mission Board is their missions organization. They are putting together a report, and they put out the first part of that report this week. And it says this. The, the name of it is, what are the top evangelistic churches doing that mine is not? So those churches that people are accepting Christ and things are happening at, what are they doing different than all the other churches that, that are not? And here's what it said. <clears throat> It said, it's not just about what happens on Sundays. It is also about what members are doing during the week. Evangelistic churches find ways to mobilize and leverage the congregation to do the work of the ministry. It's not just staff. It's all of us corporately, as I said at the beginning. We find that their members are doing two things really well. Number one, they're seeking. Not just seeking out lost people, but seeking opportunities to leverage their relationships, their businesses, their communities, their passions, and their gifts to expand their influence for the gospel. This will all start to sound very familiar to us after we just walked through this today. They aren't tied to some solitary weeknight outreach. They are living as missionaries wherever God has placed them. They see themselves as sent. And so the second thing that their congregations have in common is that they're sharing. Evangelistic members share their faith. They don't necessarily use the canned presentation, but they talk to those around them about their faith. They have gospel conversations. Evangelistic churches train their members and encourage them to incorporate their own story into their narrative. And so what this says is the most successful churches in America that are reaching the lost, that are seeing people give their life to Christ, are seeking opportunities to share their faith. They're using the gifts they have and the places they were put to share their faith. And then they're taking that step of sharing their story having a simple gospel conversation and telling people, this is what Jesus did for me that he wants to do for you. As we leave this place today, I want to encourage you to be proud of the Jesus that we worship. Be intentional 
about sharing your faith with people and leveraging right where God has you to tell people about Jesus. With that, let's pray as we wrap up. Jesus, we are so grateful for the stories that we have, for the way that you've changed our lives, for the eternal impact that we can have because you are speaking through us and want to use us and use our story. So Jesus, I pray that as we leave this week, you'll go before us, that you'll present opportunities for us to share our faith, to tell people about Jesus, that we will intentionally pursue people in our lives to tell them about Jesus. Empower us to boldly share the name of Christ. Even when it's not popular opinion, God, we want to be faithful in sharing our faith. Jesus, we have a a hope for eternity because of you, and we need to carry that message with us everywhere we go. Go before us this week, keep us safe, and may you be glorified in all that we do this week. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.